he's cheating on you and a lot of people know about it. And with those words, the middle school hallway fell silent. Now, if you've ever been to a middle school, you know how impressive that feat is. If I had the wisdom and the life experience that I do now, I would have recognized that there's some deep hurt that's going to be involved here. That there are people behind the situation and the circumstance. And I should encourage them to do this differently, to usher them somewhere more private, where they could talk and have a conversation, process their feelings and their emotions. But I didn't have the wisdom and life experience then that I do now. And I, like the rest of the school, thought, this is a great place to stand and watch what's about to happen. And as he was there and as he told her that her boyfriend was cheating on her and a lot of people knew about it, you could see the rage begin to build within her. And again, we should have just all moved on. This should have happened somewhere more privately. We had no business being part of this conversation. But we had the opportunity to see an episode of Jerry Springer unfold before our eyes, and that's exactly what we were all doing. And we stayed there as we watched as she responded with, you're just jealous, I'm with him and not with you. Now again, if I had the wisdom and the life experience that I do now, I have no business being there. I don't need to see what's going on. This doesn't pertain to me. I just need to leave. Encourage them to go somewhere more privately. But that's not what happened. And I watched as she began to yell at the person who told her that her boyfriend was cheating on her, and he was, and that most people knew about it, and they did. And then I watched as her boyfriend and some of his friends came up, and then the fight broke out. And then we weren't going anywhere. We were all just standing there. And then the teachers started piling into the hallway, and they broke up the fight. And I watched as the guy who told the girl what was going on was then taken to the principal's office along with everyone else. And that's really the first time that I can remember in my life realizing that sometimes when you do the right thing, it doesn't pay off. Sometimes when you do the right thing, it doesn't pay off. Now, we could talk all day about the method of when he delivered the message and, and how that could have been improved on and, and the mistakes. That, but again, we're talking about middle school. People are growing up. They're, they're just trying to figure things out. And this is, this is something that's hard to process. Because growing up, you're taught do the right thing. You're rewarded for doing the right thing. As, as we teach our kids, we teach them to do the right thing. As we love and follow Jesus. We try to teach them that here are the standards and here are, here are the rules and the regulations that God has put in place. And we should follow those things. And oftentimes when we do the right thing, and oftentimes when we follow the standards that God puts in place, we're rewarded. Oftentimes we're blessed. The results come out in our favor. And yet sometimes in life, because of the fact that we live in a broken and a flawed world, 
And that impacts everything about the society in which we live. Everything about, about our existence and everything that we encounter is impacted by the fall. Which means sometimes we will do the right thing. And the results will not go in our favor. And as people that love and follow Jesus, there should be within us a desire to honor God with our conduct. There should be within us a desire to honor God with our lives and live our lives according to the way that God has called us to live our lives. And yet, we have to be prepared for what happens in our situations and our circumstances when we try to honor God with the choices and the decisions that we make and sometimes those things don't end in our favor. It's what we're going to have to wrestle with today as we continue to look at Acts chapter 24. We've been walking through the book of Acts. We've seen the spread of the early church. We've seen the gospel message spread across regions as the hope of Jesus has been taken. And when people have followed after God, they've transformed their lives through a relationship with Christ his hope has been spread across the regions, and yet what we've seen over and over and over again is for God's messengers who are doing the right thing and doing what God has called them to do, we've seen them end up in circumstances that are far from ideal, that are less than desirable. And that's what we've seen for, for Paul. Last week we started in the first part of Acts chapter 24. Today we're going to follow up with the last part of Acts chapter 24. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. It's a free resource that you can find in whatever app store you utilize. And once you've installed it on your device, there are a number of great features within the Bible app. One of them is called events. And there you can either enable your locations or just right in Lakeside, Algoma, Wisconsin, will pop up. You can follow along there. If you have a traditional Bible with you this morning, again, we're in the New Testament book of Acts. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. We are going to be launching into Acts 24, starting in verse 17 this morning. If you're joining us via the stream, thanks so much for watching. My name is Brian. I'm part of the team here at Lakeside, and the verses will be available for you on the screen below. I want to send a special shout out to Dan, who every single week produces our stream for us. He was unable to be here today. He's at home resting up and recuperating. So Dan, thank you for all your work week in and week out. Get some rest, take care of yourself, heal up. We look forward to seeing you back soon. Thank you for all you do every single week to take our services to people who can't be here in person. We appreciate you and look forward to seeing you soon. Paul, a couple weeks ago, we looked at how Paul has been in various regions and he felt compelled to go back to Jerusalem. And people that loved him said, it's not a good idea for you to go back to Jerusalem. And he said, I don't care what it takes. I don't care if it costs me my life. I'm going back. I am going back. And he did go back. And then we saw him arrested and we, we have seen him under... under uh, accusation and we've seen him in trial and last week we saw he began to start his defense and the first part of his defense is he confirmed what you've heard about me is true I am a follower of Jesus I am a follower of Jesus I'm a follower at that time people that followed Christ now we call them Christians or Christ followers then they were called the way Paul started his defense by confirming that he was part of the way and he said here's what that means that I worship God 
and I've placed my faith and trust in Christ, and I recognize there is hope for resurrection because Christ died on the cross for our sins, and he rose again three days later. So that gives me hope for resurrection, and it gives you hope for resurrection. And he began to, he began to proclaim the gospel. Now we pick up from there in Acts 24, verse 17, where we read these words. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. So Paul here, he makes a transition. And he, he transitions from what he believes and the beliefs that define him to his actions. He's, he's now done saying, here is what I believe. And now he's saying, here is what I have done. And he, he tells how after several years, he came back to Jerusalem and when he did, he brought an offering for Jewish Christians. And as we saw a few weeks ago, he paid the special offering for the four men who took the Nazarite vow. He accompanied them to the temple and he paid their special offering over and above the offering that he himself paid. So here he was back in Jerusalem, worshiping God and being incredibly generous, being over and above generous. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation, should they have anything against me. And here we come to terms with this, that here Paul was experiencing the same thing that you've probably experienced at some point in your life. And that is sometimes doing the right thing doesn't seem to pay off. Paul has come back, he is worshiping God in the temple, he's, he's paying the offering, he's going over and above in his generosity, and there are some people that don't like him. And they see him, and they start trouble. So much so that there's a riot, so much so that Paul is almost killed, and then he's arrested, and he has to stand trial. He says, I was minding my own business, worshiping God. That's what I was doing. And my accusers, my accusers who say they have witnesses, they should be present here. They're, they don't even have to be here. I mean, this is incredibly unfair. And why this matters is because you have to wrestle with what happens when you are in that situation and you have those circumstances. When you do the right thing. And the results aren't what they should be. We can become discouraged. We can become disgruntled. We can become defeated. And if we're not careful, we start to think, well, God owes me something. And it, it shapes our view of God's goodness. We start to question, God, where are you? In our circumstances, why is this happening? And that's the thing that we all have to wrestle with. And, and listen, being discouraged is a human emotion. It's part of life. And it doesn't mean that there's some massive flaw with you. It just means it's a natural part of life. But it's important for us not to allow that discouragement to lead to a place of defeat where we just throw in the town. We're like, God, I'm just done. 
I'm done serving you. I'm done following you. Because it seems that we've done the right thing. And it doesn't pay off. Go on to verse 20. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. And this is really the crux of the matter. This is really the, the reason. The only reason Paul was in this situation is because he proclaimed the resurrection of Christ. That is the only reason he finds himself in this circumstance and in this situation. The issue is a theological one. It's a theological one. It's not a civil matter. It's not a criminal matter. The reason that Paul is on trial all boils down to the resurrection of Christ. It's a theological issue, which means it had no business being in that court. But ultimately, it has risen to the level of numerous courts being involved, of an assassination plot on Paul's life. All because he proclaimed the resurrection of Christ. And this is something that we just need to recognize. That as people that love and follow Jesus, we recognize that there is hope and there is forgiveness and there is mercy and there is grace and there is peace found in Christ. That all of those things are readily available to us. They are offered to us. And God is the source of all of those things. And he, he offers them to us. And as people that love and follow Jesus, we've, we've received those things. And we can tell you how it's transformed our lives. How it's changed us to our core. And how we are so thankful and so glad that we have made the decision to follow after Jesus. How it truly transforms and changes us. But here's the reality. The message of Christ is divisive. Jesus said this, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That is an exclusive claim. Earlier in Acts, Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to man by which he can be saved. The message of Christ is an exclusive message that he's it. He's the way. And we live in an age where everybody wants truth to be relative. That we live in a time where people, people try to determine truth by saying my truth. Truth is absolute. It's not relative. And we take it then to even, even another degree. We live in a day and age where everybody themselves wants to be God. Where the message of our culture is do whatever you want to do. Be whoever you want to be. Whatever makes you happy is what you should pursue. And as people continue to follow that message, observers can just look at our culture and see the results. And all we have to do is look at culture and ask, how's that going for you? And it should break our hearts. But we live in a time where everybody wants to define their own truth. And we follow a Savior who said, I'm it. I'm the only way. There's one path to God. And it's through His Son, Jesus. 
and what he has done for us and his redemptive work on the cross and the hope of the resurrection. He is it. It's an exclusive message. And we live in a time where everybody has to be inclusive of everything or else you're labeled and you're canceled. And what we have to recognize is that the message of Christ is a divisive message. We see it tear apart marriages. We see it tear apart families. We see it tear apart neighbors, partnerships, businesses, you name it. And what that means for those of us who love and follow Jesus is, is just this, that we must, we must love everyone that we encounter. We must love everyone that we encounter. We, we must love them. And the reason that we must love them is because we're told the source of all love is God himself. That God is love. That's what 1 John tells us. And so as people that love and follow after God, we need to emulate the one we're following after. And he is the very essence, the very source of love. And so we love everyone that we encounter, individually and corporately. That's why everyone we encounter, we love and we welcome here. We welcome here regardless of where they are in their journey. They, they are loved here and they are welcomed here. But we don't love people ever at the expense of lying to them and watering down a message. And the message of Christ is an exclusive message that he's it. He's the only source of hope. And we, as people that love and follow Jesus, need to be prepared for this. That the message of Christ can be divisive. Especially in the day and age in which we live. And for those of us who've embraced the message of Jesus, it's hard for us to fathom. Because we've experienced the forgiveness. We've experienced the grace. We've experienced hope. And once we've experienced all of those things, we can't fathom how anybody could want to live their lives apart from those things that we've experienced. But that's where we need to remember that there's a very real battle happening in an unseen realm, the spiritual realm, and we're told that there's an adversary. And at times, God peels back the curtain and informs us about the adversary. And we're told this about our adversary. His desire is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And how do you make a message of death and destruction and theft? How do you make that appealing? Well, the way you make it appealing is by telling people that they can be their own God. And they can do whatever they want to do. And the actual path to fulfillment and joy is to just do whatever you want. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. Whatever makes you happy is what you have to chase after. And that's what you have to go do. And in the process, people begin to become their own gods. In their minds, and with their choices. And the message of Christ is you have to deny yourself. You have to follow me. 
And the results of following Jesus are actually the results, are the actual results that are sold to people if they would just do whatever they want to. The real source of hope, the real source of peace, the real source of fulfillment is found in a vibrant personal relationship with Jesus. But we have to recognize that for people that haven't experienced that and haven't embraced forgiveness and redemption and grace and mercy, the call of following Jesus is divisive. But Felix, verse 22 says, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off. Saying, when Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. Now, what we're told here about Felix, who's the governor, is fascinating. Because he's been exposed to the message of Christ. He's now been exposed to the message of Christ through Paul, as Paul told him all about who he is and the decision that he's made and the hope that he has found through a relationship with Jesus. But what we're told here is that he has a rather accurate knowledge of the claims of Christ and those who follow him, even outside of this interaction with Paul. That this isn't a new message to him. And what does he choose to do? He puts off his decision. He puts off his decision politically in terms of making a decision in this court case, but he also puts off his decision personally. He's been exposed to the claims of Christ, and he wants to punt. He wants to be hesitant. He wants to drag his feet. And why we need to wrestle with this is because sooner or later, each and every one of us has to come to a place where we make a decision. Where we have to decide. Where once we are exposed to the claims of Christ, and we're exposed to the hope that is offered to us through a relationship with Jesus, we have to decide. Nobody else can make that decision for us. And I would just say the time to decide is now. I know that there are some of you who are here because you've been drugged here by, by your spouse or you've been drugged here by your parents or your grandparents hoping to stay in the will. And so you're just like, all right, I'm, I'm there and I'll, I'll go, all right, but I don't, I, you know, I, I, I've been exposed to the claims of Christ, but I just, I, yeah, I just want to put that off. I want to put that off. What I would tell you is the time to make a decision is now. It's time to decide. You can't just drag your feet. You can't just hit pause. And we're going to see why. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he, Paul, should be kept in custody. But have some liberty. And that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. So Felix decides, I'm just going to pause. I'm not going to personally respond to the claims of Christ. I'm not going to politically make a decision in this trial. And while we pause, we're going to keep Paul a prisoner. He's going to remain in custody. But he should be able to have some visitors and his friends meet his needs. This is like low security prison. 
You know all the high-profile cases. Anytime there's a politician involved or, or a big donor to, to one of the political parties, and, and then there's a big high-profile case, because if it isn't high-profile, it doesn't happen. But a big high-profile case that they can't just sweep under the rug. There's, there's enough people affected that they have, to, they have to do something. And so they make a big show out of the trial and then out of the verdict and and then they show them being carried away in handcuffs and the orange jumpsuit and then they show you all these different prisons and talk about what their life's going to be like in, in prison and then they're sentenced and then you find out they're really taken to this place in West Virginia that has golf courses and a couple video cameras and like one mall cop on guard, essentially, and they're told don't go anywhere, and they, they don't go anywhere. Now, I recognize that if you're, most people aren't like, hey, I want to sign up for a minimum security prison today, until you're found guilty on trial, and then you're like, hey, let's sign up for minimum security prison. It sounds, sounds like a good deal, but unless you're really giving millions to one of the political parties, you might not end up there, but essentially, that's what Paul's, what's happening here. He's still in prison, but his friends can come hang out. They can bring him stuff. Like, if you're going to be in jail, this is the way to do jail. Like, our hope is that none of you do jail. But if you do, this is the way you want to do it. Like, you know, you still play cards, have a hangout. They can bring wings. Everybody's having a good time. And then, you know, it's just time to go home. That's essentially what Felix sets up here for Paul. Now, after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. And he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. And now we see it again, that Felix with his wife, Drusilla, they come and they hear Paul present the gospel message. So again, Felix hears the message. He heard the message from Paul at his trial. He heard the message before Paul even arrived from other people that followed after Jesus. Here now with his wife, who's Jewish, he comes and Paul again starts talking about faith in Christ. And now we're told that there are elements of the message that freak him out. And we're told what those elements are. Righteousness, self-control, the coming judgment. Here's the thing. Once you have a relationship with Christ, none of these things freak you out. Righteousness, a call for us to make sure that our lives align with God's standards for our lives. That we should try to... We should try to live our lives in such a way that our lives align and look like God wants our lives to align and look. That we honor God with the choices that we make and the decisions that we make. Every single one of us who's made the decision to follow after Jesus, this is what we should be aiming at. That we live righteous lives. And what we recognize is that God knows all our mistakes. And he said, his son, Jesus, is a sympathetic high priest who is advocating on our behalf. And he helps us. His spirit is alive and at work within us. And he helps us to honor him with the choices that we make. Self-control. Every single one of us recognizes there are desires within me that can destroy me. And what those desires are for people change 
based on the individual. But every single one of us has those desires within us that can destroy us. And the message of Jesus is not to find our value or our worth in, in any of those. Again, the message of Jesus is that we would deny ourselves. We would die to ourselves. We would take up our cross and we would follow him. Because there are those things within us that have the propensity to destroy us all. But we bring those things and we no longer let them rule over us. We begin to rule over them. And we operate our lives with self-control. The coming judgment, that's not something we have to fear. When we've placed our faith and trust in Christ, we recognize that once and for all, Jesus died for our sins on the cross. That all of my mistakes and all of my imperfections and all of my regrets and all my sins were placed on him. That before I was even born, God knew every stupid choice I would make. And he paid the price for that. And three days later, he rose again, proving that he was victorious over sin, over hell, over death, over the grave. That we can have hope. And so we don't have to be freaked out when we stand before God. Because when we stand before God, God looks at us and he doesn't see all of our mistakes. He doesn't see all of our flaws and all of our faults. He looks at us and he sees the sacrifice of his son. When we have a personal relationship with Jesus, we don't, have to, we don't have to fear any of those things. But when we don't, that's when fear takes over. Because there's something within us that knows that all of this isn't just happenstance. There's a greater meaning and there's a greater being, and there's something bigger than us. And people can try to push that down all they want. There's something within us that knows there are things within me that have the propensity to destroy me. There are things within me that if I do not bring under control, will spiral my life out of control. And we can try to reject that. We can try to claim it's not true. But every single one of us knows that there are those things within us. something within us that knows that at some level somehow we're going to have to give an account for what we do and the hope of jesus is that we can live our lives and we don't have to fear any of this because he already took care of it for us but felix hasn't experienced that hope because he's been on the fence and he didn't want to decide. And what he didn't realize was that his indecision was actually a decision. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. So Felix doesn't make a decision. He keeps Paul in prison, and then he hopes, well, maybe I can get some money out of this. Now, this was highly illegal, as it is today, for our public officials to accept bribes. 
So we've just gotten smarter about it and called it lobbying. You know, but that's essentially, you know, things would go on. Things would go on then, too. The people shouldn't, but they did. They accepted bribes, and that's what Felix was ultimately hopeful for, that Paul would bribe him. And so they met frequently. But it never happened. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Two years. Two years later, Felix was replaced. And for political capital, left an innocent man in prison. And we can look at this and we can say, well, that's really unjust and that's really a shame that that happened to Paul. And it is. But the question that we have to wrestle with individually is how does this shape us? And how does it shape our decisions? And what do we do when we do the right thing and it doesn't seem to pay off? When we serve God and God doesn't seem to bless us? Do we become discouraged? And if so, that's a human emotion. It's natural. But do we allow that discouragement to lead to defeat? And we just throw in the towel? And, and listen, that doesn't mean that you can't ever adjust course. I mean, that's something we do here all the time. All the time we try new things. And sometimes they're great. And other times, that's, that's an epic fail. And then we ask the question, was it bad promotion? Was it just not a priority? Was it just a horrible idea? And if it's a horrible idea, we just throw it away. And we try something else. So you can change the method of which you go about serving. But don't allow yourself to get to the point where your discouragement leads to defeat. And you quit. Yes, this is a broken and flawed world. And yes, God is greater than any of the circumstances and situations that we face. And yes, God could supernaturally do something about it, but he doesn't always choose to do so. But even then, as an innocent man sits in prison for over two years, God is still good. Paul was still faithful to what God had called him to do. You just worry about doing what God has called you to do. Last, what I want you to recognize. If you're on the fence, indecision is actually a decision. Because nowhere are we given any indication that Felix would ultimately embrace the hope which he had knowledge of, which was boldly proclaimed to him at Paul's trial, and then boldly proclaimed to him again in the audience that Paul had with Felix and his wife Drusilla? What you need to recognize is if you've been exposed to the claims of Christ and you've been exposed to the message of hope that's available through Jesus, 
It's time to decide. Because whether you recognize it or not, indecision is actually your decision. God, I pray. I pray for the person that is on the fence and that thinks God one day or some other time. And I pray they would no longer be deceived. And I pray today, I pray right now, would be the time that they fully embrace you. And they follow after you. God, that you will transform their hearts and transform their lives. I pray, God, for the person that's here. just discouraged and I pray that discouragement wouldn't lead to defeat I pray they wouldn't quit God they're exhausted and they're tired and they're wondering what are you doing and where are you when I do what's right And the circumstances and the situation just aren't going in the way they should. I pray, God, that even now, your spirit would comfort their hearts. You would guide them. And Lord, I pray for us all. That we would love people in the way that you love people. God, that, that we would embrace people regardless of where they are in their journey. But that we would always point them to you. And we would recognize that the only path to our salvation and our only hope is available through the work of your son, Jesus. And the gift that he offers us. And Lord, I pray that we would lift up this message. And we would boldly proclaim it. And I pray the hope of Jesus would transform this city and transform this region. Use us, God. Share your hope. It's in your son, Jesus' name we pray.